Please turn in your New Testaments to Revelation 21, 5. Revelation 21, 5. We're heading in a few weeks toward a new series on faith from Hebrews 11. I think one of the the things that we really need to look at again, uh, and there will be a lot of cultural analysis, why faith is kind of on the wane and uh, all the things that are so apparent, and God is an unseen God, but we will get into that later. But the next few weeks, just to kind of get our attention focused on the greatness of God and the grace of God as we move into 2011. And this is the Word of God as God speaks in Revelation 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said... I am making everything new. Isn't that beautiful? I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We love new. All right, think with me for a minute. These words, these are like some of the most precious words in the American vocabulary. New car smell right? You know what that is? Of course you do. Not, not that everybody has owned a new car smell. <laughs> we love new. New clothes. Men. New gear. And four-wheelers and, <laughs> you know, all the paraphernalia. New relationships and the possibilities that they bring. One of the most exciting words in our vocabulary is the word new. And aren't you ready for a new year? I mean, it is just, that calendar is blank, just ready to be written into. Our lives just ready for God to to write in blessing, to write in growth, to write in ministry. We are on the precipice of potential. Took hours to come up with that, by the way. (laughs) We do love the new year because the new year is all about what it might be, right? I mean, we've, we've finished 2010. It is what it is. There were ups, there were downs, there were incredible tragedies, there were, were, were wonderful high and holy moments and, and moments of uncontained joy, but it is what it is, and um, we love the potential of what can be. Aren't you ready for something new? I mean, just you don't know what the Lord's going to do in your life. Think about the people you might meet this year and what that might mean to your life. Think about uh, the ministry that God might connect you to and the the people that you might touch this year with the love of Christ and how meaningful that might be. One of the great things we do, remember in the Presbyterian Church, we think everything's holy. It's just how you use it to God's glory or not. Think about all the business that you could do, businessmen and women and all the contacts that you might have. Of course, resolutions, New Year's resolutions are all about what what might be, what could be, what we hope will be about the shape that you might get into, about a growing consistency in a particular area or areas of your life, or maybe something you've wanted to do and 
and the fact that maybe might do it in 2011. And so a few nights ago, it was with a hopeful smile that we shouted, Happy New Year! And we hugged each other, and, and there it was, the precipice of potential. There it was, kind of hope ready to be written into our lives this year. And I love the new year personally. I am, if you know me, a very optimistic person. So that's a cool place to be. Happy New Year, you know, and, and smiles all around. And, and I want you to know that, that mites are great. And they're fun to think about and they're fun to dream about. But the good news this morning is when it comes to God, it's not about might. It's not about maybes. It's not with God about potential that might lead to reality. No, no, with God, it's about a new reality that has amazing potential. It's about what God has given and He will give that is real and cannot be taken away, cannot be stopped. That this year, if we live as a follower of Jesus, if we grow in grace, as we seek Him, worship Him, incredible individual, corporate, kingdom potential. So there's something inside of us that just longs for something new that's real. And that's why, and I'll quote it in the King James, that's kind of how... I first learned it. That's why these words are so captivating. Behold, I make all things new. You ready for new? Well, there's two two angles I'd like to approach this passage from. First are that with God, our lives are made new. We are made new. And secondly, with God, we get a new future. We're made new, we get a new future. The first is that we are made new with God and that that newness has a continuity. That newness and the resetting and the the re-understanding and the re-experiencing of that newness is an ongoing thing in our lives. We get a new life. Uh, As one scholar put it, our lives are not like tires that are punctured. So they just need to be patched. We're not like that. I mean, you know, if, you, if you've got a set of tires, a good set of tires, and you run over a nail or something and you just got a little puncture, you, and you hear, you know, you can kind of perceive the something, air just barely dribbling out of it. You don't say, well, we're just going to get rid of this tire. I'm just gonna, in fact, I'm just going to get a whole new set because I got a puncture in my tire. No, what do you do? You take it to the tire store, they patch it. And you're on your way, no worse for the wear. Let me tell you something. When it comes to our status before God, our our relationship with God, we are not punctured before a holy God. We are ruined before God. We are utterly ruined before a holy God. He is intrinsically holy and we are fundamentally self-seeking. And those two things do not go together. We don't need to be patched by God. In fact, what God demands to do and will do and does in our lives is so radical, so complete, that it can be called nothing less than a brand new life. Jesus put it this way, unless you are born again, 
you will never see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, whom he said this to, was one of the teachers of Israel. I don't understand this. I don't understand how somebody who is grown can be born again. Nobody can go back into their mother's womb and start over. You don't get a new start. God patches you. No, we are born of water, the natural birth process. We must be born of the Spirit born from above, born into a totally new life. Let me tell you, in December 1982, I became new. I was 19 and a half. I was spiritually reborn into a real newness when I put my trust in what Christ did for me on the cross, taking my punishment. And you know, the the first thing that struck me was this, the reality of forgiveness. I knew I was forgiven. Not partially forgiven, not forgiven for a little while. I knew that my sins had been taken away from me as far as the east is from the west, that God would no longer condemn me because Jesus had already taken my condemnation. But not only did I know I was forgiven, like totally forgiven, forever forgiven, I knew that I was a new person. I knew that this was the start of a brand new life with God in my life. First, Second Corinthians five seventeen. Another, you know, there are just several of these passages that just grab us, don't they? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We have a new life in the Spirit. We have a new name given to us, children of God. Every day, God's mercies are new. Why? Because we sin every day and we have to repent every day. But out of that great provision, mercies are new. His praises are new. The songs that we sing are new songs of praise to our God because they are songs of love and gratitude as well as respect. And I am amazed, and I hope that I will always be amazed. I am amazed continually, even to this day, at the newness of the Christian life. I am amazed that daily, through repentance, there is cleansing and forgiveness that I and you can count on that we never have to second guess because it comes from God and out of the great provision of Christ and through grace, it becomes a cleansing that is new. Do you believe that? I believe that every day faith can be new in the sense of, Lord, this is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I want to avail myself to live for you. I want this day to be new. And life is a great adventure when there is always forgiveness and there is always newness and there is always the potential of the kingdom of God coming into us and through us. But I'll tell you something. And I I assume that, that all of you are like this. If you're not like this, please see me at the back. There are times when I forget about this newness. You know, and, and the, this new life 
for me personally at, at times becomes kind of hidden. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a gigantic, beautiful diamond on the floor in a dirty laundry room with dirty, smelly towels covering it on the floor. And if you walked in that laundry room, you would not know that there was a diamond bigger than the whatever that diamond is, Hope Diamond or Emerald Diamond or whatever. So you can tell I'm not that cultured. Over in England, you know, um, you'd never know that that diamond was there, but that diamond is there. And the reason you wouldn't know it's there is because there's dirty towels on top of that diamond. I don't know where you are in your life as we come into a new year. I don't know if you're one of those people who's saying, could it really be that Jesus is the answer to my disconnect with God? Could it really be that Jesus is the provision for my guilt before God because of my sin? Could it be that what Jesus has done is the healing for all that I have been, that I just deep in my heart wonder if can ever be healed? If you put your trust in Christ, I want you to know you will become new. You'll be forgiven. You'll get a new life. That may be where you are here this morning. In salvation, a relationship with God is a gift that comes through what Jesus has done for us. You may be one of those people that, I mean, you know what? You're just in this stage where the newness is just new again. And you say, that diamond is not, there's no towels on this diamond. Praise the Lord. There's growth in grace. I know that my life is hidden with Christ in God. I, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that I have union with Him and I know that He is leading me right now. And I know about this forgiveness, etc. Or maybe you are that person that, that's like the diamond with the towel on the floor. And you say, you know, I just, I, I wish, I know that that's, I know, I've experienced that. Joseph, I know. Maybe what needs to go along with our toasts for the new year is a prayer of David where David said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uncover the diamond of grace in my life. Give me back, Lord, the immediacy and the beauty, the intimacy and the joy of first love with you. Boy, that'd be a great thing to pray in a new year. I've been listening to a book by J.P. Moreland that I'd recommend called Kingdom Triangle. I warn you, it's a, a long book. Uh, Kingdom Triangle is a book about the reality of God and why theism, meaning that there is a God, and particularly Christianity, makes a difference. Why the kingdom of God being real is a much better life than the bland life of, uh, of simply kind of being uh, a product of, of multiple accidents on a dirt clod hurling through space, going nowhere in particular, not to put too fine a point on it. But J.P. Moreland in this book talks about what he calls the empty self. He also talked about this in his book, Loving God with All Your Mind, which is an, another really good book that J.P. Moreland wrote. Um, the empty self. Let me define the empty self to you the way J.P. Moreland defines it. The empty self is the person who consumes popular culture as his goal just to live in this world and, and get what I can take. The person who consumes popular culture as his goal and is 
so trying to fill his life with things and technology that he becomes restless, easily distracted, and bored. That is so true. Without God and a life thick with meaning, we have a life that is just brimming over with bubbles and foam and emptiness. Or as Neil Postman put it years ago, we're simply, quote, amusing ourselves to death. But you know, whatever it is that we want to fill our lives with in 2011, as we consider this year, as we consider what's functionally important to us and and what we really kind of long for, what newness our souls crave and and, and what we will attach that craving actually in our lives to, um, I will tell you something, if it's anything else but a relationship with God who came down to us to reconnect us with Creator with purpose, with linear history, with grace and love and meaning. If it's anything other than that, um, really in an important way, it won't be new. I mean, look, it'll be a new app on your iPad. It'll be new, but won't be new. You know what I'm saying? It'll be a new this or a new that, and it'll be new but it won't be life-changing new in any way. Is that where you want to live your life this year? Well, I mean, we're all kind of in this, in this process, are we not? In this continuum of, of life in a fallen world as a follower of Jesus. In Christ, we have real new life with God. Maybe we need to pray to take the dirty towels off of it. Not, not that those things are bad enough themselves. How we, how we live for that stuff is the dirty towel aspect of it, not the things themselves. Um, because, you know, in Christ, we, we not only can discover the immediacy, again, of forgiveness and of love and a relationship with God and the potential that, that basically God who has created everything, sustains everything, is the very same one who will lead us in our lives which is a great thing to think about, is it not? There's a lot of assurance in that, but we can discover the meaning of the things around us. It's really important as believers in Christ, those of you who have put your trust there, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with apps. Where, how, do they find, how, do they, how do they work into the meaning of life? Um, we can discover the meaning of the things around us. We can grow we can beautifully utilize all things for God's glory as we walk with Him. And there can be a very positive, edifying, and strengthening effect of our lives on other people and not just the draining effect that our narcissism and selfishness does to the people we know, which creates insecurity and not security, which tears down and does not build up. It is a relationship with God through the gospel, through that real life, that real meat, that real meaning that we're able to love other people and that same meaning flows to others. It is exciting, you ready for this, and always new. Behold, I am making all things new. It's a life of learning 
and a life of learning how to love. That's what I want to be about in 2011 when it comes to Jesus. I want 2011 to be a life of learning and learning how to love. How about you? It's thick with meaning and possibilities. And possibilities, dear friends, in that life are only as great as heaven itself because it is the will of heaven flowing into humans who know God and flowing into people who need him and into believers that need to be reminded of him as well. It's a great year if we are able to realize the newness. So we get a new life in Christ and there's a renewing effect in walking with Christ. But secondly, this passage shares with us that with God, we not only get a new life, we get a new future. You know, Happy New Year is kind of always, it's kind of about the future, isn't it? At least a year's worth of the future. This isn't just about now, however. Go back to Revelation 21, and I want to begin with verse 1 of this text. You see, God is preparing for us a city, and the older things will pass away, the old order, and the new will come. Revelation 21.5, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I'll explain that in a moment. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So you know this is about the church and the the blessing of the gospel and the grace of God in our lives and all that God wants to give us forever in that final state. Verse 3, and I heard a voice, no, I heard a loud voice from the throne say these words, now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And then our verse, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write down these words, for they are trustworthy and true. I mean, don't you love this? Listen to these words. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and he will be their God. Matthew Henry says the presence of God with his people in heaven is not to be interpreted as we now have the presence of God on earth, but he will dwell with them spatially, meaning right there, present, and continually. His immediate presence is with them, his love fully shown to them, and his glory fully given to them. Look, we not only have a new life, we not only have incredible possibilities out of this new life with God, 
We've got a a new future that is sure. The old order will pass away. We know where this thing is headed. It's a joy to be able to live with God towards something that we know is coming. And not only will we get the dwelling of God with men, the new Jerusalem come down from heaven out of God, not only will we get the love and the glory, but there are six things in this passage that we will never deal with anymore. We will be free of the sea. Now, that's a whole sermon right there. That's basically a, about fear is what that's about. The Jewish people were not maritime people. The sea and several of the, um, the um, metaphors for conquering foes were like sea monsters coming out of the sea. And so sea is a word of fear for the ancient Jewish people. So no more fear, no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And we read, if you'll look at the text... I am making everything new, NIV, exclamation mark, meaning God is excited about this fulfillment. God at just the right time will lovingly and joyfully say, I want you to have it. It's everything you've heard about. It's everything you've been waiting for. I make everything new. And I want you to have it. Exclamation point. And just so that we fragile humans would know in our bones that that this is true in those ancient times, they would write things down, they would witness them as being reality. We read the next verses in verse 5. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Dear people, what he's saying to us as we live toward that moment is, they are written down, they are witnessed, you can take it to the bank, exclamation point, Happy New Year. That's where we're going. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor mind has conceived ever what God has prepared for those who love him. Exclamation point. Actually, there's not one there. You and I cannot even imagine the glory that awaits, the newness that is so real that awaits. If you have Christ, that's what you're living a year closer to in 2011. God is not about might. It's it's not about potential that might lead to a reality. It's about a new reality that's fraught with potential. Jesus didn't say, I might be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you. Jesus didn't say, I might prepare a place for you. I will go and prepare a place for you that you may be with me. Jesus didn't say, I might leave you. I might forsake you. I will never leave you. Or never forsake you. That's what we need. Newness in our lives and newness yet to be discovered as the reality we're living toward.
Have you ever heard of buyer's remorse? You've all had it. Buyer's remorse is when you, uh, you buy something and then you have this sick feeling in your stomach that you shouldn't have bought it. Or that you like bought it too expensive or bought the wrong version or, or you know what I'm saying? There, there's just kind of this sick feeling that maybe you didn't do the right thing when you bought it. Have y'all ever, have me, raise your hand if you've ever had buyer's remorse. That's what I thought. But you know, buyer's remorse is not where we live in our consumer culture at all. I mean, that happens. No, I, I had to coin a phrase, I had to coin a phrase for what, what feeling is associated with buying in our culture. And I, in fact, my daughters and I worked on this out loud um, we much more experience what I would call buyer's bliss. Now, you know what buyer's bliss is, right? Buyer's bliss is when you get something new and it's so cool and you're filled with bliss. And, you know, I mean, we, we know that doesn't last. I mean, I'm not, it's, by the way, that's not bad. Please don't say, this is a sermon about never buying stuff. I know what he's trying to get at. Look, if you've got a guilty conscience, that is not my problem. You know, I'm just preaching the gospel here, Okay. Buyer's bliss. It's the high we get from buying something, even though it only lasts a short time. And sometimes, just sometimes, we feel like we need another hit, so we go and buy something else. But, you know, looking into this new year, I think buyer's bliss is a great way to look at this passage. There is a kind of buyer's bliss that never goes away. Let me explain it to you. It's the bliss of God who bought us. And everything He is to us and everything He has for us has this blissful exclamation point behind us, behind it. You see, that other bliss comes and goes. But this is a bliss that says, Behold, I am making all things new. Write it down. This is faithful, trustworthy, and true. In fact, dear people, if you have Christ, He is so happy to have you that He is preparing a place for you, that He wants to be with you now, and He wants to make His dwelling with you later. And so what we need, I believe, this year is we need a new kind of buyer's bliss that we could tap into the joy of the Father who makes everything new. That would be a happy new year. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You bought us by sending Your Son his payment on the cross, full payment of the penalty we deserve for our sin, that is paid in full. Thank you that every time someone puts their trust in you, that the angels rejoice, that you are filled with joy in being God, that you are filled with joy in being our Father. You are filled with joy in being the one who provides for us and the one who has prepared a place. Lord, we pray that you would help us to tap into that joy of the new life. 
That joy of love and learning to love, that joy of repentance and new cleansing and forgiveness, that joy of ministry and influence out of your grace and love that, that you want to give us because you want to give it to other people and you want to bless them, not only them, but us. And you want to see the kingdom come in this world. You've never put your trust in what Christ has done. You can do that this first Sunday of the new year. Just pray with me. Lord, I, I see it. You're holy. I'm not. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And I, I want to turn away from everything else and put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done. Thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now. I am totally forgiven forever. Even now, I can be cleansed out of this forever forgiveness every day. Even now, you can grow me. Give, help me to walk closely with you and only gain in the joy of our Lord. Lord, we pray for those who have a beautiful diamond covered with dirty towels. Lord, would you take them off, not that there's anything bad about the things themselves, but it's what we've come very often to, to need more than you, what we've come to put our emotional trust in more than you. Lord, would you remove those things and let the glory of reality shine again in and through us. And Lord, let 2011 be a year, the year of our Lord. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.